Welcome to Managing Marketing, and today I'm sitting down with Nick Law, who is the president of Publicis Comms and also chief creative officer of Publicis Group. Welcome home, I guess. Thank you. Yes, I'm getting over the jet lag and enjoying being here. Though, uh, while Sydney was where you grew up, you've lived in uh, Brooklyn or New York for how long now? I've lived in in the States since 94. So that'll make that 24, 25 wow. years, yeah. That's a that's half a lifetime. It more. is. I, well, more. I think I have spent more time in America than any other country now. Wow. Yeah. I still feel like this is home, though. You, oh, that's good to hear. Because, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, you, you, when you grow up in Sydney, it's very hard to, uh, you know, sort of remove that uh, part of your DNA, isn't it's it? It's true. There's no city like it, especially if the Rabbitohs are winning. <laughs> and um, and uh, did you Randwick was it Randwick TAFE Randwick TAFE that's right yes co- yes between uh, the Royal Randwick Racecourse uh, Centennial Gardens and then the sort of the drug prevention centre of New South Wales University they're all it's like in this lovely walkable distance to it, all those things <laughs> especially the racecourse <laughs> yeah <laughs> but the reason I uh, I bring that up is that you know there's a lot of talk about the importance of um, uh, education and training people to be job ready and things like that but I think uh, it'd be quite difficult in this day and age to actually make people job ready wouldn't it Absolutely. I mean, the way to get people job ready is to give them a job. Mm. Um, and I say this, obviously, I have a bit of a confirmation bias, but um, we, our industry is, is an applied art, and I, I just don't think it's academic. I don't, you know, and in, the, in my case, I was so poor academically in high school that I didn't have the choice of, of going and get a degree. But Randwick Tech, at the time, had the best graphic design course in New South Wales, and it was a two-year certificate, and you basically learn how to use a T-square. It was a, it was a drafting table sort of thing. It was all practical. Mm. You, you know, I mean, there was it was all it was all learning how to use the tools. You had mastery of your tools. Um, now I'm not one of those people that say, "Oh, it's really good that I learned how to sketch typefaces," because I I much prefer technologies that get the idea out of my head and on paper quicker. Mm. I just think it's better. But I will say that um, learning by doing is just the absolute best way to do it. I think there's a role in that teaching the basic principles, you know, teaching the basic rules of design, for instance, or the basic rules of, uh, uh, you know, um, of font or communication or all of those things. Just teaching the basics is really important. Well, I, I, I agree with that, but I also think that our industry is guilty of, of confusing uh principles with practice. Mm. So for example, I think in the more traditional advertising world, they have this idea that a big idea is somehow primal. And I would argue that the way that they express their big ideas is almost always through a narrative medium. So it sort of looks like a tagline or or a short script, like an anthem is something that is meant to encapsulate a big idea. And that's a complete bias towards a media that has been, uh, you know, the main media for the last 50 years, which was television. Mm. And I actually find that it's an impediment now 
Because rather than starting with a big idea, which, as I said, I don't think is a principle, I think it's a, it's a practice, I think they should be starting with a behavior, which, which lives in, or in an interfaces. Or like a well, human yeah, insight. Well, even there, like I've, I spend a lot of time with more classic planners, mm. and their insights tend to uh, be tightly coiled around the brand. Oh, okay. They're, as opposed to, like... As, as two, opposed to <clears throat> coiled around a human being. Exactly. And, <laughs> and specifically, like, the two biggest advertising concerns in the world, yeah. Facebook and Google, um, uh, uh, they track behaviors, right? And, and, and they've, they scale because of that. Now, there are times when I think they extrapolate from those behaviors, but I don't think that they look at the world through this sort of magical insight lens that classic comms planning is. And, and sometimes I feel that comms planning is like air guitar. It's like, it's like it's how do they feel in their water. They, they reach for a zeitgeist and they justify it with some random tweets in a slide. And I, ju I just feel like there's a better bottom-up way of looking at our industry because we're getting the right signals um, to make... To have, to, so I think our, our insights should, <clears throat> should be jumping uh, off behavior as opposed to ju jumping off some sort of psychological um, profile. Yeah, look, I agree. And in fact, uh, behavioral economics and uh, 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 behavioral psychology says that that is absolutely the focus, that if you want to understand human beings, yeah. that you need to watch what they do, exactly. not what they say. Not ask them yeah, in a focus group. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, I mean, uh, going right back to Henry Ford, you know, he said, if I asked people what they want, they would have said faster horses. Exactly. You know, and then you go forward yeah. and the other classic is uh, Steve Jobs. You know? yeah. I mean, he looked at what people were doing and then envisaged a future that they couldn't even envisage. I mean, yeah. to me, that's an insight. An insight yeah, yeah. is yeah, about exactly. a human insight. Yeah. What is something that someone would absolutely love before they even know it's possible to make it for well, them? Well, this, this is the limits of... Um you know, being slavish about data is that you need to, at some point, take an intuitive leap. I think Netflix's model is intriguing because they have a lot of insight they, they, where, they, where they can see where the white space is mm. as opposed to where they can see where a formula is. And because the, you know, I think of, of all of the, the you know, unicorns, Netflix straddles this world of data and art the best because, because their art is true art. Mm. It's not, it's not sort of some mechanical reflection of the data. The data feeds, um, you know, some insight, real insight about, you know, an area that might be worth exploring. But then ultimately art needs to be made. And that's still magical. Yeah, and, and there was a time I remember when Hollywood was being accused of falling slavishly to only data yeah. because they would only Hold approve it. movies that had already proven the concept at box office. Right, they so that focus that, groups and stuff. Yeah, yeah. and we, we should, got yeah. that era of, yeah. you know, uh, uh, Beverly Hills Cop 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, Rocky 1, 2, 3, yeah, 4, yeah. because, you know, that yeah. was the only thing that was proven. And yet, as, as we know in hindsight, if you're not innovating, if you're not actually innovating to things that people want or, yeah. or engage with, then eventually just you get this long tail of destruction. Well, actually, there are some parallels you can draw between the laziness of that and the safety of that Hollywood model and the traditional advertising model. Because what happens when you, when you go down that path is you, is you lose the ability to, to develop the grammar of the, of the art. 
So while Hollywood was doing that and, and sort of calcifying around these tropes, mm. you had TV becoming the, the best platform for storytelling. Mm. Like if you look at storytelling on TV from 20 years ago, and you look at storytelling now, oh. it's completely different, right? And if you actually, if you took a, the audience from 20 years ago and put them in front of, of these, these amazing HBO and Netflix and Amazon uh, series now, they'd be very confused because there's sort of density of information, there's the plot lines that have little cul-de-sacs. The complexities. There's a, yeah. there's a very different grammar that's mm. developed. And, this, and there's, a, there's a, this sort of interesting interplay between the literacy of the audience being dragged along by the mm. exploration of the grammar, and TV has be has become the best storytelling medium, like and movies has sort of has become more formulaic, and I look at at advertising and I feel the same thing because if you look at an ad, an excellent ad from twenty years ago, you could still run it now. Mm. Now whether anyone would watch it or not is that that goes back to you know our media habits have changed drastically, but I think the the narrative side of advertising has been stuck. And hasn't like for example, we have this ability now to slice up content, reassemble it, and send it to people one on one. Right. Mm. So you have this sort of one on one ability, and whenever I see examples of that in my feed, it feels like an ad that's been cut up and reassembled. Yeah. Instead of if I'm a young creative, that I should be looking at a new grammar. Like what are the possibilities based on modular content as an artist, not as a marketer, but as an artist? Like what happens? with the hinges between these modules. How do you reassemble them? You have to think about narrative not just as a sort of series of revealed moments, but you think about it as a bunch of pathways. And you should be different creatively. So what I think the advertising industry has been guilty of creatively is not exploring the grammar of, of, the, of the mediums that we have. It's a little bit like you know, early TV looked like radio being filmed. It was yeah. locked down. And I feel like we are still churning in the in the sort of the late 50s um creative revolution and which was still like slavish to the sort of burn back team instantly which was the last time that the creative team was was uh, innovated. innovated which was yeah. you know so the last time 60s, that a, a creative lead was creative enough to innovate the structure of his team was yeah it was in the, it was in the late 50s early 60s that's crazy mm. And yet, I still I go around to the to traditional agents. It's still the atomic team. Mm. It's still the atomic team. They've arranged around that atomic team some exotic new talents. But the atomic team is the one who's curating, and they're not qualified to do that because they have a very specific craft. They have mastered the technology of television. They're still creative technologists. They still use technology. We all do. Art. You know, you can't be creative without a medium. A medium is a technology. Yeah. And, and, and yet they're the ones making decisions about when to bring in the social strategist or the data scientist. It's crazy. Anyway, you've got me on a rant. <laughs> no, no, no. The, the, it's, it's great. Yeah, the, and, and this is, as I said, um, you know, it, it's, I think it's important because for an industry that is so reliant on creativity to yeah. generate the new, because, you know, the thing about us as, you know, one of the things about human beings is that we're attracted to the new. Yeah, you know, it's it's the thing that excites our brains when enough we see you, something. and enough of of the sort of references. So the anchor, it's a it's a fine balance. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because the other thing that's the sort of uh, oxy, uh, the paradox is that we hate or we resist change. Yeah. So we resist change, right. but we love new. Yeah. 
So that's why new has to build on in some yeah. ways. Yeah, when yeah, someone makes yeah. a quantum leap yeah, that you can't even see where well, the no connection is. Well, no one understands is. it. Yeah, it would be like if you took someone from the you know eighteen uh, fifties, put them in front of a a, a, a movie now, mm-hmm. they wouldn't understand. Or hand them a phone, a mobile. Well, they would, but, it, but just even I'm going back to the sort of grammar. Oh, of, right, of the creativity. Communication, they wouldn't yeah. understand what editing was. They mm. wouldn't understand how an image would completely disappear and something else would appear. Mm. These flash cuts and stuff, they, they, they wouldn't know how to process True. it. Yeah. And so you're absolutely right. This, the change is incremental yeah. and, and novelty is just enough that it titillates you but not enough that it confuses you. And, and I think this is, I think, and yeah, and our industry, of all industries, and this is, I actually gave this presentation a few days ago, which is that the product people in our industry are creatives, mm. and yet somehow in the in the last twenty years, creative leadership has dwindled. Mm. Right, and our industry has been taken over by people that aren't product people. It's been taken over by financial and operational people, and I think that's one of the reasons that that the, the sort of paucity of vision in the product, which is a creative, um, has you know is is holding us back. I really think that, and I, and this is one of the reasons I took the job I took. Is that you know whether or not it's going to be um, uh, you know fun and creative job? It's certainly a job where I have influence and where I can help create a vision for a large public company that is in our in our industry, right? And and this is this is important. We need to. I've noticed this reticence for creatives to be involved in the business side because they've been so infantilized by the award mm. industrial complex, and and so. Um, convinced of their own sort of artisanal value and I just think it's bullshit because that wasn't what Bernback thought mm. it's not what Droger thinks you know I mean there are great creative leaders that, re- that who, who are actually applying the the skill the discipline of creativity to solve a problem yes. rather than just creating yeah. a piece of entertainment or a piece of communications well and also to, also to solve an organisation so going back to Bernback mm. he brought these slack-jawed art directors from downstairs who up until then had been colouring in mm. the real creative's work, which is a copywriter, pulled them upstairs and paired them with the, the copywriter. And don't tell me that that was a, a, a cultural difficulty. I mean, people complain now that, that traditional people don't know how to work with, with digital in inverted commas, right? But I'm sure that it was the same. I'm sure the first art director that came upstairs was looked at by the copywriter with disdain. What the fuck are you doing here? You're not the creative person. There was probably some teething. We'll always go through this stuff. Mm. Um, but, it would, but my point there is that that was a creative way of looking at the structure mm. of, of the business. And we've lost that. We've lost the ability to design our own companies. Yeah. Well, they've been locked into a framework that is driven by a financial need. It's also because I, I saw this really interesting video uh, from, I, from Steve Jobs, uh, early Steve Jobs, and he mm. was talking about the demise of Xerox. And he was talking, he was saying that the, what happened was, and this was true of, of a few of the big tech companies at the time, that they had monopolies. And when you have a monopoly, the product people can't, uh, there's there's not a lot of gain that, that they they're going to have market share anyway. They they're not competing, and so in instances like that, the product people become less important, 
and the people that take over as sort of operational or in that in, his, in that case could be marketing person could be someone who's not core and uh, and then and then the sensibility for the product starts to get leached out of the company mm. I think what happened in advertising was that the up at, before the internet the media environment was so stable the templates were so stable um, and most of the clients um, their companies weren't being disrupted like they are now. And so what the value that you could bring as an agency was telling a story about the thing they were already doing. Mm. Because structurally things weren't going to change. You couldn't, you, couldn't, uh, you couldn't invent media because media was stable. Uh, and, you, and you couldn't go deep into the structure of the companies because that's not where you were adding value. So you cre- we created this culture of narrative mm. and of the belief that if you told the right story, then you could grow business. This is now the thing hamstringing the industry because change is a design problem. It's not a story problem. Mm. You can't change a company with a new tagline or a new story. And you have this situation now where the big packaged goods companies, which have always been the biggest marketers because they sell commodities, right? So, mar- yeah. so marketing becomes really important. They're in this death spiral with traditional agencies because their problem, which is what are we going to do with Amazon? Are we going to work with them? Are we going to work around them? How do we do that? How do we get the data from our consumers so we yeah. know what, what to make and how to sell it? Um, that is not something that can be solved with a campaign. Now, you still need to advertise because they are commodities, but there's a deeper issue there, and the death spiral is not going to change it unless, unless they have more deeper structural change. So our clients need structural change, and then we look at ourselves as an industry, and we need to redesign our structures. We need to go deep and rethink the teams, and yeah, and but, but we but because we're a narrative culture, yeah, we don't know how to do it. So, so what I um what I'm hearing in what you've just said is that it's almost like it created this symbiotic relationship in an environment where it was incredibly stable. Yeah, you know, major advertisers and and agencies ended up in this sort of so aligned to each other in delivering That's that right. as the environment then started to change they didn't know how to evolve anymore yeah. because they were so linked together but also culturally you have a culture of storytelling you know we and well, that, was, that was in yeah, that exactly. static yeah. environment that, that's, that's what ha- that's what the, the way of operating yeah. that was the in quote successful mm. way that's to true. market was yeah, to yeah. tell your story exactly and and even the media model was to tell the same thing over and over and over again yeah. because we had the thing about reach and frequency yeah. if i didn't have 65 percent reach and yeah. and three times frequency it wasn't going to That's work right. it was a formula yeah that, that everything became formulaic even briefing was we need the tv ad and yeah. then we need well, the four uh, support channels to I go with see, it i still see this right and, mm-hmm. I, and going back to our little rant about about comms planning and and, and the sort of membrane thin process there mm-hmm is that I don't need to have another conversation with a client about their brand that goes on and on and on. It's like we have these sort of strategic conversations about a client's brand, which is like some psychotic person in a pub rehearsing their, their pickup line, mm. right? And then, and then and by the time the person walks in and sits next to him, he, the, he's so convinced about what he's going to say about himself but knows nothing about this person he's speaking to. This is where we are right now. Mm. And this is, again, going back to why Facebook and Google are eating our lunch. Because they don't give a fuck about that. Mm. They, they're picking up signals about how, what people are actually doing. And, and, then, and, then, and then, you know, they don't need to ask the question 
about who, what the what the psychographic of this person is because they're they're getting the signals that give them much more concrete. But the know. other thing they're also doing is that they're constantly innovating and testing and yeah. learning. Yeah. So they they're seeing what you know there is a trend in behaviour or they're seeing a, a technology opportunity which they quickly test and learn yeah, yeah. to see if that gets any traction. And, you know, that's that's the difference, isn't it, in that uh, any organism to survive in an environment needs to be able to adapt. Yeah. One, they've got scale yeah, to right. adapt, which be. is important, yeah. but also they have a, a mindset of yeah. adapting. I mean, even... Well, they, they, they also have network effects, which I think is yeah. the... If you look at the sort of hockey stick curve of change, which is which has been happening in every industry, it's been unleashed by these connected interfaces called the internet, and they and they promote this 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 thing called network effects, and network effects are the most powerful sort of growth um, uh, sort of machine, and and they're built on that right, and you compare that to the old media model. There's no network effects when you when you push something out. Uh, in in a sort of broadcast environment, because because I can't do anything with it. There's no interface in front of it. So so, mm-hmm. and the other thing which I think people I think know but don't don't talk about is that the the reason that advertising is so important to to Facebook and Google is because it makes the lower it lowers the point of entry mm-hmm. for usage. The reason we get these services, these amazing services like search, is amazing. And all these, you know, things and connecting with our friends around the world is amazing, and it's for free. It's yeah. for free. So what it's we get, by yeah, the... so what we get as a consumer from the advertising on those platforms is a free service. Mm. What I get from an ad that interrupts me when I'm watching the Rabbitohs play mm. is nothing. I get ag- aggravation. All of the financial gain goes back to the media companies, right, and the and the <clears throat> and the brand. So, so even though we're sort of. Uh, pissed off at these platforms for all sorts of reasons, right? Um, we still, we're still getting some of the gain from the yeah, advertising, of course, right? Yeah. Which is a user experience, which is, which is slightly degraded, but, but, but like we still have it free. And so, so they've sort of figured something out. But I will say, and this is the rich irony of, of all of this, just as I said that the more traditional advertising agencies might be poorly matched with the packaged goods companies, like a, a, a digital transformation company would be better match, for example. Mm-hmm. And they're, you know, like in, in the group that I'm at now, Sapien would be a better match, yeah. right? At least to begin with. And then you advertise on top of that. I also think that the, the, the new economy, right, the Airbnbs and the, and the Facebooks, mm-hmm. and the, what they need right now <clears throat> is not business transformation. They need marketing. Yeah. Right? Because the, those, those, and you brands. don't just mean Mark Combs, you mean, I mean marketing brand. in I mean, the... But yeah. I also, what they need is a brand, mm. right? Because what, they've, what, those, uh, what those companies, they scaled through these network effects, but they're also sales companies. Yeah. They don't have cultures of marketing. And so this is where you find a, this sort of difficult dance now between the regulators, between a souring public mm. and these companies. And they, they're not sophisticated about their own brands. Mm. So who's good at that? Well, we've been good at that for a long time. So if if this is a big opportunity for the more traditional advertising agencies, if they should make sure they're sophisticated enough to have intelligent conversations within your economy so they understand how, the, how these companies are structured. But then they're, they're really... Like I, I lived in this world of early digital agencies 
Um, and they were really unsophisticated when it came to brand. Despite the sort of legacy model of the traditional agencies, they still understand brands. Yeah. And so if, if they can become modern versions of themselves, they have a lot to give to these new economy. Okay, um, well, I'll, but I just want to pull you up there because yeah. from my perspective, you know, a lot of agencies still think about brand and brand comms as narrative. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And yet, increasingly, people understand and create a branding positioning in their mind about an organisation as much through experience so, as yeah. they do through yeah. the uh, narrative that's being pushed out. They're getting it from the experience of the brand. They're getting it from the experience that's told to them yeah. by their friends and and the you know and and on social media, but or even having a chat. You know that no, that's actual absolutely right. Yeah. Brand management is no longer about comms and narrative, which is where yeah, yeah. agencies have traditionally played. Yeah. Agencies get the strategy behind it, but their execution is almost like some, traditional yeah. comps. And sometimes they don't even get the strategy. But my, my, my point there is that, so, you know, I, uh, in my last job, I developed a, a, a branding practice mm -hmm. where we used to say the brand is in the interface. Yep. Right? It doesn't matter how many um, great uh, uh, identity stationary sets and business park signs you, you design. <laughs> If people's experience of your brand through through an interface, which is mostly how we interact with big companies now, is degraded, so it doesn't like a bank could do awesome anthemic ads on television, and then you go onto the app and you can't do a transfer, right? Yeah. So, so that's a problem, right? Yeah. So, but 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 my point here is that so as in my last company, we would be engaged by by companies by clients to do that. And there are, and you know, in publicists that, that would be something that Sapien or Digitas or that, they had to do that. My point with the new economy <clears throat> is that they, they've already designed frictionless, amazing experiences. Yeah. That's how they're, we're, like Google had a brand before it did any advertising because of its amazing experience. Mm. So in that case, and this is, this is where actually it's appropriate that you have a more sophisticated narrative around the brand. Right. Right. A lot of clients to actually articulate yeah, exactly because it's already the, there. The so, brand, the <clears throat> brand exists because people experience it, so they have a perception yeah, exactly. of it. Yeah, now. and and there's there's not this this no agencies that's going to come in and f and fix Airbnb's experience. They've done it yeah. really well. So one of the problems, and and you mentioned structure before. One of the problems that we see constantly, and a lot of the work that we're doing, is that we see marketing been reduced to marketing comms within organisations. Yeah. And yet all of the other, you know, P's of traditional marketing, like, you know, product placement and, and pricing, yeah. happening elsewhere within the organisation. Yeah. And it's almost like a lot of these organisations facing disruption are saying, well, marketing comms, why aren't you fixing this through narrative? When in actual fact, narrative is like sitting on a one-legged stool. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, the way I talk about it is it's, it's a spoke. Right, right, mm -hmm. and and unfortunately for a lot of the big uh, traditional agencies, is that they own the relationship with the client based on the brand, uh, the brand narrative, mm -hmm. and now they've become narrative boutiques because that because the hub of the client brand has become m more matrixed, right? Yeah. <clears throat> so, I think that uh, I can't remember what I was going to say. 
That's something really profound. <laughs> well, no, um, so I was talking about the one-legged stool. Oh, that's and, right. yeah, and yeah, you yeah, said, yeah. Uh, so, you know, it, in some ways, relying on brand alone, oh, sorry, narrative alone yeah, right. to, to position yeah. a, a organisation is like a one-legged yeah, stool. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, actually, what I was, so was going to say is that some of the, I think the answer to a lot of these things are really obvious. Mm. Uh, so what, what's the cause of the fact that that narrative by itself comes to and, and And I think it's to do with the fact that what the internet did to everything was connect everything. Mm. And as soon as you connect everything, then there's a relationship between everything. Yeah. Right? And so the model, I think, for agencies right now is to build out horizontally. So rather than going down deeply vertical as a sort of narrative marketer, they need to start connecting things, right? Because that's what's happening in the world. That's what's happening in our clients' mm. businesses. It's it's why you can't think about um, you can't think about narrative marketing without understanding e-commerce. Without all of these things that sort of Constantina, they've collapsed into an interface. Mm. I can within one swipe, click, or you know, gesture, go from looking at a product to buying it. Mm. Like within a so this idea of funnels gone, it's mm. collapsed. The, <laughs> the idea of uh, of there being any logical order mm. to how you might go through. That funnel is, and so so if you think about that, it's it's all because things are so connected, so profoundly connected, yeah. that we can make very, uh, you know, uh, instant choices uh, based on infinite information. But we're also um, getting infinite uh, inputs. Yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah. That we're filtering or yeah. connecting, or um, it's interesting what you said about the funnel collapsing because I still see so many uh, brands and agencies talking about the customer journey, yeah. right? And it's linear. Yeah. And I don't know about you, but I think customer journeys are a bit like you know the electron; it flies around yeah, the universe right. yeah. and then just suddenly appears. But along that journey, it's picking up information and and making decisions and eliminating options. Yeah. And to, and that could be in milliseconds or it could be weeks. Yeah. You know. So this idea of being able to map a person's decision making yeah. process. Well, I in, think a bit. Uh, it's trying yeah, to make well, sense of, of the complex. One of the reasons I think um, the consultancies are so appealing to clients is mm. because they sell process. Yeah. That's what they sell. And, and they sell process generally to a lot of people in the same vertical industry because they've proven it here and there's no conflicts and so they're mm. gonna, they'll, they'll sort of productize that process and sell yeah. it. And the problem with that is exactly what you say. There isn't really a process. Mm. Um, um, there might be some frameworks within which this, this sort of mm. chaos exists but I think there's something very appealing about the funnel to a client because it's, it, it has this sort of veneer of, of control or, or being able to track something. But you're absolutely right. It's like even how we work. Mm. My, my favorite story about um, how random and how uh, asymmetrical the creative process is is that the Love Has No Labels film that we did for Ad Council that mm. you know, got 200 million views and was hugely successful and this was the beginning of this platform that keeps going. It started with not a strategy. It started with an execution from an internal creative uh, at Coke. So, um, mm-hmm. so, so Wendy Clark, who was mm-hmm. you know, the, the CMO at the time, came to the ad council with this piece of creative that was done by one of her team, which was a silhouette of the Coke bottle with the hashtag, love has no labels, right? Because there was no mm-hmm. label on the Coke bottle. Yep. Now the ad council, because of its of of you know, it's when they get donated media, they can't show brands. 
So we took that idea, Love Has No Labels, which is this execution for social, mm. and, and took it apart and rebuilt it as, as these dancing skeletons. So we, we took the brand. Now that, now, that is not a process that you would associate with. Like, there was no big strategic insight. Yeah. There was no... Where like, was the research? Yeah, Where was there the... Was, yeah. I mean, now, it's not to say that we didn't then fold in stuff as we went. The point is that it wasn't a logical, methodical march from 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 idea or from insight to idea to execution, it was actually this sort of strange thing where we started with execution, we backed up into yeah. strategy, we went around in circles with a few, and 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 this is how these things work. A bit <clears throat> like a Quentin Tarantino narrative, you know, you yeah. start in the yeah, middle, yeah. you go back to the beginning, <clears throat> you drop to the end. And <laughs> now there's frameworks within which we check ourselves mm. while we're doing that, mm. but the but this but there isn't this. Um, this perfect sort of linear process, and in fact, I would argue that if you if you are, if you become slave to a process, mm. again, this is the weakness of the consultancy model for creativity. For creativity, is that it stops you from thinking. As soon as you productize a process, and you are relying less on the genius of the people and more on the system, then then you then you're going to get this bloodless execution. Because there's in, in complexity theory, so you know, you've heard of complexity theory and, and chaos theory, right? Yeah. There's a, a terrific piece that says, because chaos theory is a domain where human beings can't really operate, because if it's chaotic, there is absolutely no way of being able to relate to it because yeah. it's just... But the, the beauty of complexity theory is that as it moves towards chaos, in the same way that entropy, disorder in the universe, is moving from order to disorder, yeah. you move closer to creativity yeah. because creativity exists uh, in its purest form at that boundary between complexity and chaos. Yeah. From a human perspective, you know, that human beings have the ability to create especially when they're in a world where there is no predictability, yeah. but still the ability to influence yeah. the world around them. And I, and I really like that from a, a scientific point of view, but also from a human and business point of view, yeah. is that I think it's why one of the things that we are lo have lost or losing is that within organisations, one of the great things about advertising agencies is that they can create an environment for creativity exactly to exist. Right. Yes. Except that the more and more you try and process the creative process, yeah. that you can do the you can put frameworks around either side, like production you can have mm -hmm. frameworks and inputs you can have frameworks. But the actual creative moment yeah. is not a process. But you also have to broaden your definition of creativity. So this is why, you know, oh, in my, in my sorry, previous... I'm talking about in its purest form. Yeah, no, but but it's interesting because you've made me think about something, right? Which is that you know, in my previous life, I created an organizing principle, which was an evolution of the Burnback Atomic Team, which was stories and systems. The important thing about understanding how stories and systems work as a creative um, two hemispheres of a creative brain is that systematic thinking, design thinking, mm -hmm. is creative, right? Mm -hmm. and, and, and so it, it overcomes the bias of the traditional advertising industry, which sees narrative as the only version of creativity. Mm -hmm. Everything else is executional. Once you get that balance, you get stories and systems working together, then what you, you have the ability then of taking that complexity. And what systematic thinkers are really good at is picking up on patterns mm. and synthesize. So they synthesize a lot. And then, and then out of all of that, they see patterns. Mm. 
It's a sort of spatial... And new patterns yeah, that they've not right. seen before. And sometimes the patterns are, are things that they've created themselves and mm. that maybe they aren't even... But it doesn't matter. It works mm. as a sort of way. And this is a this is a, going all the way back to where we started, which was how do you redesign a business? Mm. You do, that's how you redesign a business. You, so it's a systematic task because it's a design task. And so if we're going to apply our creativity uh, to our own industry, then we need that sort of thinking. Now... And I'm not saying that storytelling isn't still really important because in my experience working with these two sorts of creative brains, if you don't have the simplifying uh, influence of a storyteller, then those patterns and the, and the sort of shape of that complexity can never get distilled and communicated. And that's a really important thing to do, right, to mm-hmm. the world internally. And so that's why this combination of, of the sort of um, uh, uh, the, the systematic... Uh, you know, taking all yep. of the all of the the craziness of sin, and then the communication communicating of that is so important. But but but, but in, storytelling <coughs> exists for human beings outside of advertising. Storytelling yeah, yeah. has always existed for human beings as a sense making exercise. Of course, you know because stories. You know, and this is why whether it's the Bible or, yeah. or whatever, you know, um, every culture has used stories to make sense of the world around them, and that's why they're so powerful. And, and we live temporal lives. Yeah. And this is why language is, by definition, a story, because it's, it's not everything, everything at once. It's one thing at a time. Mm. We live temporal lives, but we also live in space. And, and even, even the ability to tell a story is based on a system. Alphabet is a system. No, not one person designed the alphabet. Mm. It sort of accreted it over evolved, time. Yeah. And it's a, it's a magnificent system that lives in space. Mm. It's a, it's a exist, you know, 26 characters that exist that we rearrange and reassemble to create this narrative. The system itself is, is, a, is a, uh, a magnificent act of creativity, mm. but it's invisible to us because we've ingested it and now we just use it. But that relationship is important. <clears throat> you know, the story and the system, the time and the and space, you can't take them apart. They're always linked. And this is why, <clears throat> in a sense, even though <clears throat> what art and copy represented in the early days of advertising, was the ability to tell a story with a magnificent sort of interplay between image yeah. and and word, like those early VW ads that mm. you know. That um, I would argue that stories and sisters is even more profound sort of symbiotic relationship because it's bigger than just communication. It's mm. it's it's this it's it's how we look at the world. We can't help but ex- exist in time and space, and as creative people. You either are really good at processing your creativity temporally or spatially, mm-hmm. and so put them together, and you've got two hemispheres of a creative brain that is broader and more capable of curating the teams you need underneath, which is a, which is a, again like a, a, a an impediment of the old model, which is that is this reliance on on the atomic team of art and copy. Mm. Creative teams should be designed for the problem at hand. And, and the people that curate that team should have broadly literate across stories and systems, not just literate across this little keyhole of uh, art and copy. Mm. So one of the, you mentioned before about uh, agencies needing to broaden. You know, one of the things that uh, uh, we're seeing, and, and I'm not sure, have you read the book Team of Teams by no. General Stanley McChrystal? I'd absolutely recommend it to you. Yeah. He was the guy that ran the task force in Afghanistan and Iraq back in the early 2000s, right? Yeah. And what he realised is that the military machine was 
structured exactly the way businesses are, but in silos. Yeah. And the trouble with that is that it's slow, it's not adaptable, yeah. it relies on efficiency, but not adaptability. Right. And so he completely demolished that structure and created autonomous teams that all shared knowledge, information, yeah. and were aligned to the purpose of their mission, their yeah. mission, and that they would form, reform, and reconfigure. They would share information. They, their response times and adaptability went like off the off the scale. Yeah, and because it <coughs> broke down the silos. How many? And they, times? And they needed to, right? Because but their foe was organised. Like of course, that. but the world <coughs> is organised like that now. Yeah, that's right. Right. Yeah. That that back in the nineteenth century, when this whole idea of the industrial revolution and getting efficiency yeah. was was the mode. In the 21st century, we don't work that way anymore. Yeah. That the, the world is changing, and it, you know the, whether you call it click speed or whatever, it changes that quickly. Yeah. And that organisations, perhaps the reason that startups are so good is because they, until they get those silos, they can actually form and reform. You know, a lot of startups are end up doing something that's completely different to that's what right. they originally yeah, thought they'd be doing. Which is, which is why the VC companies are more interested in the people than the idea. Yeah. So how do we bring that type of thinking back into our clients' organisation, but also into the agency organisations? Because they've built up you know, that symbiotic relationship. Yeah. Um, agencies end up mirroring their clients in exactly. structure and yeah. process and yet if clients are having to change to adapt to the modern world agencies yeah. need to well, change this is as why well. agencies that that i think agencies that became masters of the medium of the internet yeah are a lot better at uh, at creating new capabilities because the internet moves so quickly uh, that you had to right and this is a sort of strange thing I found in the last company I was at was that we didn't really have very good client services people. It became more mature and we got better at it. We had very good producers. Mm. And, we, and we understood that when a new technology like Flash came along, we had to master it. Or, if, you know, or when, when the web started to eat up storytelling, we had to become good storytellers. Mm. So we had to sort of incubate and then bring into the center of the company these capabilities very quickly. Mm. Um, and, and we were less influenced by how our clients were typecasting us and more influenced by the medium they were working in. Mm. In contrast, I think the more traditional agencies, because they were so client services led, mm. conformed to what the clients needed from them. And the clients typecast them. Yeah. And so now this sort of the, 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 the noose of, of, what these, uh, of what these clients have asked from agencies is starting to tighten. Mm. And they, so they went deep on storytelling and, you know, and especially TV and narrative storytelling at the expense of broadening their own capabilities because that's what clients were asking for. Mm. And now they're fighting, a sh they're fighting to get share of a shrinking pie. Mm. So this is, this is the problem. Right? So we are in a service industry. We have to listen to our clients and we have to respond to them. But we need to be responsible about our own business model and not let clients tighten the aperture around what we deliver. Or flip that over and start being the innovators that innovate in a way that the clients are attracted to. Because, you know, Mark Pritchard, and, you know, God bless him, he's, he's 
standing up and saying the things that need to be said. But earlier this year, uh, uh, Mark Pritchard from PNG said, agencies need to have more creative people and less account management people. And I wrote an article, an opinion piece about that, which is the reason his agencies have so many account management people is that they're mirroring his own organisation. Yeah, all the brands, all the yeah. sub-brands. So if, he, if he's willing to change, then agencies will adapt to it. But rather than following, there's also a role for leading. And, and you, know, you mentioned before, agencies. there's agency leadership out there. One of the things that differentiates them is that they are willing to push beyond just being a services-driven company. And what you said uh, uh, also that hit me or resonated was the previous company you were with, you weren't focused on just giving the client what they wanted. You were focused on uh, mastering the opportunities and then offering it up to the client saying, hey, is this something you're interested in? And then there was this virtuous circle because then we got typecast as that, right, as as an innovation company. Oh, yeah. Wow, Which, bad luck. No, no, could you, but you could have, I mean, my, my colleagues, uh, you know, the, in Mortridge latencies, their complaint yeah. is that, oh, the clients won't buy this stuff. Now, there are a few reasons for that. First of all, they're not, the client doesn't see them in that. Yeah, and, that's right. And actually, I'll say this, that when you create a new capability, the chances are you need to sell it in a new business situation. And it's only then when you've stood it up with the other clients that your existing clients will say, oh, you can do it. It's very difficult to go into an existing client and sell them on something that you haven't been doing from. So we did... You've either got to be positioned as that or because you've built a... Yeah, because you've been typecast. Working with Nike, for example, Hmm. uh, we, uh, in my previous job, the narrative work that we did... Hmm. uh, it couldn't happen at Nike. They had already typecast us. Yeah. Well, they, they had, had a they had right. a uh, they agency for narrative. Fairly decent. You were the technology yeah. innovator. So it wasn't <laughs> until uh, we did this narrative work for Beats, yeah. you know, who gave us the opportunity because I was a scrappy startup when yeah. when we started to work with them, and then we and we did some really awesome narrative work that we then did narrative work for Nike. Mm. So you know, it's it, this it's very appealing to sort of grow your your business organically within clients, but you've just got to understand how they see you. And sometimes you have to prove other capabilities with other clients before bringing it back. Mm. That's, at least that's been my experience, yeah. Hey, Nick, it's been terrific well, catching thank up. Thank you so much. Well, I, I, I'd, always, you know, I'd say we should do it more often, but it's hard when we're on opposite sides <laughs> of the world. <laughs> hey, um, and look, uh, a, a question uh, you know, without notice. Um, what do you see as the next big disruptor for the industry.